you guys. This is the Scripture Study Project, our podcast that gives you a fresh and faithful study of the scriptures that we hope will renew your excitement for your own personal study and help you passionately teach what you are learning to others. We are your hosts, Zach and Krista Horton, and we are excited to be here to dig into a new study today. We'll be studying in Matthew 18 and Luke 10 and I kind of feel like this month of April has just been fun. It's been awesome. We've got General Conference, Easter, and we really hope that... Soccer. Lots and lots of soccer. That makes spring. April good. Yeah. Basketball. Spring is just good. Mm-hmm. It's like it's been raining, but then the sun comes out and you just feel so refreshed and green. Anyway, we hope that you are having a great April and enjoying spring wherever you are. Thank you to all of you. We've had a great discussion on on Instagram, our our Easter post last week. Um, It was so good to hear from so many people, thoughts and feelings and experiences. And it was really this kind of neat week-long experience to talk about the Holy Week and how we were feeling about it and how it was helping us come closer to the Savior. So that was really great. And thanks for everyone that, that participated. Yeah. And a lot of responses to I think I even replied to someone on this, but like I'm taking notes on what you what you responded to some of those questions that we posed in last week's episode. So it's just been really fun to have some feedback there. So thank you so much for that. We want to start. Um, this isn't maybe it's a teaching tip, sort of. Um, it's maybe just a guilty pleasure because it's one of my favorite scriptures in all of scripture, and it shows up here in Matthew 18. Um, it's Matthew 18 verse 20, and it's just the little verse where the Savior teaches this really simple but powerful principle where two or three are gathered together in my name there will I be in the midst of them I start every year of seminary with this scripture this is the first one that we read as a seminary class because I think it's absolutely important for us to understand as a group why we're together and how we can invite the Savior to be with us so I always point out that there's three things in this scripture three requirements in order to realize the promise blessing at the end. The first one is that we're gathered. And I'll ask the class, what's the definition of gathered? And we usually arrive at meaning, well, the Savior says two or three. So where two or three people are in the same place, that's being gathered. And so I'll ask them to name places where they're gathered. And, you know, they think of the easy ones, well, church and seminary, etc. But even standing on the street corner with someone else is gathered. You and that person are in the same physical space at the same time. And, um, you know, if you ever want to make a really awkward first impression with someone, just turn to that person you're standing next to and say, hey, did you know that we're gathered and have a fun discussion <laughs> afterwards? So so that's the first requirement. The second one is that we're gathered together and there's a difference. We're not just in the same place, but we're there in the same place for the same reason. Um, and of course, we can think of examples for that. I, I always joke with my students that the two best examples I can think of are for boys when they get together to play video games. There's like this iron-clad, zeroed-in focus. Nothing else happens. They're all there for the same purpose. If if you have, I don't know, sons or brothers that are into or video yourself. games. Or yourself. Yeah, maybe that's true. <laughs> um, and for, for girls, it's when they when one girl stands up and says, I have to go to the bathroom, and the rest of them stand up and go to the bathroom, there's there's some unifying purpose. And I knew you were going to use the bathroom thing. <laughs> Just when you started saying that, I'm like, he's going to say bathroom. So that's gathered <laughs> together. Um, but the third requirement is the kicker, to be gathered together in the name of Jesus Christ. 
which means we're in the same place and we're focused on the same thing and that same thing is the Savior. And the cool promise is, is that if we do that, then the Savior will be with us. And so if you're teaching anyone from a family to a class or you just want the, the you want the the savior and his spirit to be with you i love these three simple requirements and they've never failed me if i can get together with anybody you know you and i when we talk about the podcast or when we're talking with kids and we can be together focused on the same thing and we can focus on the savior and we can invite him into that discussion then his spirit is there his presence is there And, you know, something is coming to me that I haven't really thought of before, but I don't think the Savior intended this teaching to be that if you're studying by yourself, then Mm -hmm. he's not going to be there. Um, And of course, I guess I don't have the answer to that. But the thought that came to me was more the emphasis on that gathering can be powerful in a different sense of your own versus your own personal study and revelation, that Mm -hmm. this, this is a different thing and that we don't have to make it a grandiose event every time we gather. It doesn't have to be, it, it definitely certainly applies to the ch- a church meeting or, but that if we're gathered, if we're talking, if we're making it casual, if we're making it natural, that even more so is the Savior going to be there. I think even things, I mean, this, this podcast is an example, you know, if someone's listening individually, we're gathered together, even though we record at a different time and listen, but mm-hmm. Technology helps us gather and gather together. So I I like that thought a lot. Okay, I want to start really quick um, with this. I have here a list of life's unanswered questions, and I'm going to ask them to you. You ready? Doesn't matter. Question one, (laughs) why can't women put on mascara with their mouth closed? Because... They're also eating breakfast while they do it. Uh, Unanswered, right? How about this one? If you try to fail and you succeed, which have you done? If you try to fail and you succeed in failing, did you succeed or did you fail? You succeeded. But you failed. Oh, Uh, you got me again. (laughs) uh, Why does Goofy stand on two legs, but Pluto stands on four? They're both dogs. I wondered that too, actually. Goofy can talk. Pluto but that's can't. not unanswered. We just need to ask Walt Disney. Yeah. Um, why are semi-trucks bigger than regular trucks? You have a truck and then you have a semi-truck and the semi-truck right? is bigger. Yeah. The, these are some really intense questions. I can see why they're unanswered. If corn oil is made from corn and vegetable oil is made from vegetables, then what is baby oil made from? Okay. That's not an unanswered <laughs> question. That's just a lame joke. And the last one, the most important. <laughs> Um, and I ask this because in our family, it is answered. Why do toasters always have that setting that burns toast to a horrible crisp? And the answer is because there are people like you that like your toast burnt to a horrible crisp. That is very true. On our toaster, like I turn it to a two and yours is... Oh yeah, that's yeah. way too low. Yeah, so... Toast isn't toast. It's got a little bit of crunch to it. Our study this week is Matthew 18 and Luke chapter 10. And we want to start real briefly in Luke chapter 10 because there's a big important... Question in Luke chapter 10 that starts this study. So if you'll remember in Luke chapter 10, kind of at the beginning, or kind of in the middle, this certain lawyer comes to the Savior and asks him, tempting him, the scripture says, um, Master, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus, of course, turns it back on him. How do you read in the law? And the lawyer answers, well, you should love God and you should love your neighbor. And Jesus says, that's it. If you will go and do that, 
you'll be saved, which I love that teaching. Obeying the commandments of God is as simple as loving God and loving your neighbor. Everything boils down to that. You think of any commandment and it takes you five seconds to figure out how obeying that commandment is either me loving God or me loving my neighbor, you mm-hmm. know? But then, of course, the lawyer, again, tempting Jesus, says, but who is my neighbor? And then Jesus teaches this wonderful parable of the the Good Samaritan. Um, teaser for next week, uh, at the end of that parable, there's a little short story of Mary and Martha, which we're not going to get into in this episode, but in a bonus episode coming up in the middle of this week, we're going to interview Ashley Lanary, um, who just finished a, uh, a master's degree focused on women in the church. And we're going to ask her all questions related to Mary and Martha. And uh, we're really excited. And get the chance discussion. to study that because we don't want you to think that we left that. Yes. Those awesome verses out of this of this episode. So that happens in Luke 10. And what we want to do is take that big question, how do I inherit eternal life? And the sub questions of, well, how do I love God better? And how can I love my neighbor better? And use that to study not just Luke 10, but also Matthew 18. We've got these two great parables. So we're going to start Matthew 18 with the parable of the unforgiving servant. If you remember, this, there's a certain king that has a servant that owes him 10,000 talents. When he calls that servant to him to repay the debt, the servant says, I can't repay it. The king says, throw him into jail then. And the servant says, no, please have mercy on me. And the king does. He has compassion on him and forgives him the whole debt. He doesn't just extend the payment time. He forgives him the debt. Then that servant goes out and finds a fellow servant who owes him. And when that fellow servant requests forgiveness, he doesn't give it to him. The king finds out, hauls the servant back in and says, because you didn't, I'm throwing you into prison. That's the parable. What we want to do is look at that parable and see what can it teach us about loving God and what can it teach us about loving our neighbors, about loving others. So to start off this, I wanted to read um, first when that first servant is forgiven. And this starts in 26. At this, the servant fell face down before him and said, be patient with me and I will pay you everything. Then the master of that servant had compassion, released him and forgave the loan. That's just, those words are just powerful, right? Um, and, and give us that sense of freedom and, and lightness. If lightness is a word, is that a word? Totally a word. And then, and I like that it's in contrast because I'm looking here in my scriptures. And then that same servant who was just forgiven, like Zach already described, he goes and finds someone that owes him money. And in contrast, starting in verse 28, he says, he grabbed him. He started choking him and yelled at him, pay what you owe. And I couldn't help but contrast those two those two feelings, and I think even if we're thinking externally or even internally within ourselves, whether we're trying to forgive someone or whether we're trying to be forgiven, um, think of the way that those words make us feel in contrast to compassion, release, and forgiving versus grabbing and choking. So as we look at this parable and think of those questions, how does this help us love God better and love our neighbors better, I don't think there's any better way to practice that than forgiveness and repentance. Um, And I love what Jesus teaches at the beginning that spurs this whole parable on. Peter approached him, so this is in verse 21, and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? 
as many as seven times? Verse 22, Jesus says, I tell you not as many as seven, but 70 times seven. What a powerful statement that is from the Savior um, that we just keep on forgiving. And I think we've kind of, this really came to light for me because we've been having this conversation in our house with one of our sons of just realizing that a lot of the problems or issues, whatever you want to label them, that we're having is that he's just a kid and he's just practicing. He's practicing life. And it takes practice. And maybe we even say that instead of you know, we're all practicing. I think of the way that I, I view him with, even though it can be super frustrating sometimes, um, but he's just practicing and that God thinks of us in that same way. So you're saying practicing, it helps us to forgive others when we think that they're just practicing this life thing. But then at the beginning, you mentioned we're also practicing forgiving. So it's practice on both sides. I need to remember that you're practicing as a person. Yeah. And that helps me to forgive you. And I also need to practice forgiveness when I'm thinking about you. Yeah. This it, I hope that's not a little confusing. But in saying that we love, it can help us love God more because we understand. I mean, this has helped me, this experience of thinking of, of, ish, of things that we're dealing with with our kids. They're just practicing. And isn't that how, well, he's our father in heaven. That's the same way that he sees us. We're practicing. And that's why he's going to keep forgiving us and forgiving us and forgiving us. Um, a really great talk that you, I would love you to add to your study um, is this talk from Lynn G. Robbins. And it's called Until 70 Times 7. And he says, with his invention of the light bulb, Thomas Edison purportedly said, I didn't fail 1,000 times. The light bulb was an invention with 1,000 steps. Charles F. Kettering called failures finger posts on the road to achievement. Hopefully each mistake we make becomes a lesson in wisdom, turning stumbling blocks into stepping stones. I think that's a really healthy way to view other people. Other people. Mm -hmm. And also view ourselves. Mm. I know when I've had the experiences of um, being forgiven myself or forgiving someone else, as we come to see our own failures or our neighbor's failures in this light, um, I think it can really, it can be the key, in fact, to understanding, having a better love for God and better love for our neighbors. Um the experiences I've had that had been honestly most impactful for my own um, testimony of this and a testimony of a loving father in heaven has come when I felt the power of Jesus Christ allowing me to forgive someone because it has taught me the power that he holds to forgive me too. I've had the experience where I know that I myself, with my own human frailties and human power, would not be able to forgive someone to the capacity that I was able to forgive them without the atonement of Jesus Christ. Because, and through that experience, it helped me to see, you better believe that I'm going to love God more because I know that he's going to offer that same forgiveness to me. But also, let's have more compassion because God loves that person so much that he helped even me forgive them. He wants us to feel those same words, these that compassion 
that release and that forgiveness that that first um, debtor mm-hmm. <laughs> debtor felt when he um, was forgiven. And that's why I love those words because I think that's the this is the perfect parable to talk about to answer that question. Yeah, I, I love. What you're, well, first of all, you're welcome for giving you so many chances to have someone to forgive. Yeah, no so kidding. There's your practice. <laughs> um, but I, I love how both questions, both loving God and loving uh, our neighbor are in this. Um, I've, I've always loved, <laughs> I think we miss part of this parable. When the Savior uses the term 10,000 talents, if you know anything about coinage, um, and that's the one that the first right you're the first the debtor first. owes him ten thousand mm-hmm. talents. A denarii is a day's wages. It's how much a laborer earned in a day. A talent, one talent, is six thousand days labor, or about sixteen years. That's one talent. Ten thousand talents, depending on how much you do the calculation. But we're looking at somewhere around the in the neighborhood of five billion dollars, give or take a couple billion. Give or take a couple billion. So, yeah. so in this parable, if, if this parable were given in English, Jesus would said would have said, there was a master whose servant owed him $5 billion. And the servant said, I can't pay it. Well, of course you can't pay it. I think seeing that helps us understand what the Savior's purpose is or what the symbol is behind that master. The, the message of the parable is, here is God forgiving us our $5 billion debt to him. There's no way we can repay it. You can't, you couldn't work for, I mean, I think it's like 600,000 years you'd need to work in order to pay off that big of a debt, which we just can't do. There's no physical way we can do it. And he doesn't expect us to. He forgives us the debt. Because of that love that God has for us, we should be able to go out and forgive this simple, smaller debt of others to give us. So what you're saying is really powerful, that if I'm, if I'm having a hard time practicing forgiveness for someone else, um, maybe the easiest way to remember is, think of how much God has forgiven me for, how much he forgives me for. I was just going to say, try repenting, mm-hmm. and then you'll see, oh wait, I really need to forgive this person because I've felt forgiveness. Yeah, yeah. Well, the second parable we want to look at in Luke chapter 10 is the parable of the Good Samaritan. And if you remember the story, uh, there's a certain man that leaves Jerusalem, goes to Jericho, and on the road gets uh, thieved and then beaten. A priest passes by, passes by him on the road and leaves him, ignores him. A Levi passes by and ignores him, but the Samaritan stops, binds him up, and takes care of him, carries him to an inn, pays the innkeeper. Um, I think there's three levels that we can look at this parable. And I love each level. Level number one, probably the most common is, we should be like the Good Samaritan in loving our neighbors. Of course, there's that cultural barrier between Samaritans and Jews where there's high animosity. Uh, Jews would go out of their way to avoid Samaritan cities, even if it meant longer travel, because there was such anger and such contention between the two cultures. And so this beautiful, and and I think that's a wonderful and even an intended way to read the parable. Who is my neighbor? The lawyer asks, and Jesus tells this parable. Your neighbor is everybody. Even that person that you hate, that's your neighbor. And you should love them and care for them just like the Good Samaritan did for for this man. That's level one. Level two, if you look at, again, some of the words the Savior chooses in this parable to describe the Samaritan, uh... This is verse 33. 
A certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, listen to the words, he had compassion on him and went to him, bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, set him on on his own beast and brought him to an inn and took care of him. On the morrow when he departed, he took out two pence and gave it to the host and said, take care of him and whatever you spend more that well, I, when I come again, I will repay thee. There are so many lines in there. They're so compact that I can't help but read this and say, that Samaritan is a very clear symbol of the Savior who finds us, comes to us, binds our wounds, pours in oil and wine, carries us to the inn, pays the innkeeper whatever is needed to take care of us and anything, any extra debt that we could accrue and says, when I come again, I'll make everything right. I think that second level of reading this parable is when you love your neighbor, you're doing what Jesus does. He is the kind of person that stops and helps individuals, that loves them, that forgives them, that cares for them, that serves them, and that pays whatever he can to take care of them. He does that for us and he does that for others. The third level, I think, is my favorite. And this is just my opinion, um, so don't take this for anything. I think the third level is the one the Savior most intended us to read. The beginning of the story, it says, or the beginning of the parable, it says, or the Savior says, a certain man. Often in parables, the Savior will use that phrase, a certain man, or a certain master, or a certain king, and almost always that is a symbol for him. To add to that symbolism, Uh, This certain man goes from Jerusalem down to Jericho. Jerusalem is one of the highest cities in the area. Jericho, which isn't very far away, is one of the lowest cities in the area. So here this certain man is uh, taking himself from this high position and condescending, that's the word Nephi uses, and coming down to Jericho. As he comes down, he is beaten and stripped of his clothing and left for dead. You read, if you just finished reading the accounts in Easter, you know that the Savior was beaten and stripped of his clothing and left for dead. Um, He is ignored by two people that should have recognized him as a Jew and helped him, a priest and a Levite. The very people that are called on to perform this kind of service, to recognize someone in need, they ignore him. It's only this Gentile, this Samaritan, that accepts him. I think that one of the readings the Savior intended us to see in this is he is the certain man that fell among thieves. He is the certain man that is beaten and stripped of his clothing. And the question for us is, are we going to stop our day-to-day life and lift up and love the Savior? Maybe he said it best in Matthew 25 when he said, inasmuch as you have done it unto one of the least of these, you've done it unto me. If you serve someone else, it is like you're serving me. When we stoop down to help that man that's fallen among thieves, and when we, when we bind up his wounds, when we care for him, when we pay what's needed, what we're really doing is honoring and serving and loving the Savior. In our love for our neighbor is our love for God. And the way that he took time to be with the Samaritan, He took time to be with him and understand who he was and where he needed to be in order to bind up those wounds. And I like that aspect of it too, that 
we really, if we want to come to know God and love him and serve him, we need to take time with him. I almost wonder if the answer the Savior gives to this certain lawyer who says, who is my neighbor, that Jesus's answer is, I am your neighbor. I'm all of your neighbors. And the way that you take care of them, the way that you love them is, is you showing me what you think of me. Um, I've heard it said uh, that this parable and then the story of Mary and Martha, that the parable of the Good Samaritan is about loving your neighbor. And then the story of Mary and Martha is about loving God, which I like the connection between those two. The only problem I have is I don't think this parable is just about loving your neighbor. I think this parable is about loving your neighbor and loving God. I think these two commandments are almost, and maybe they just are, inseparable. If you love God, you can't help but love his children. And if you're loving and serving his children, if you're forgiving them, then say, yeah, if you're practicing, then you're loving God. Yeah. So one final teaser for our bonus episode coming up is now that we look at Mary and Martha, traditionally we, we look at it in one light. Can we see it in a different light? And what additional lessons can we learn about loving God and loving our neighbor from the story of Mary and Martha? These chapters are such a great study coming off of Easter week where we've spent the week studying about Jesus Christ, hopefully understanding and feeling his love and his life a little more fully in our own life. In fact, um, I think it's Elder Holland that says that the first great commandment, as Jesus says here, of all eternity is that we love God with all our heart, might, mind, and strength. But the first great truth of all eternity is that God loves us with all his heart, might, mind, and strength. So here we spent a week studying everything that Jesus went through for us because he loves us. And now we turn our attention to how do we love him and how do we love our neighbors in return? Yeah. And no better way to gain love all around is when we study the example of our Savior and what he does, not only how he he prays to his father, how he um, suffers for his people, and how he loves other people and teaches other people, um, I think is the best way to begin this. So we thank you for studying with us this week in these chapters, and we hope that your study is great. And again, if you guys get a chance, if you have the desire, we would love you to check us out on Instagram, um, subscribe to the podcast and keep telling your friends. We're grateful for, um, all of your support.